episode involves discussion about divorce, anxiety, and eating disorders. We have censored content from this episode, which may trigger our listeners. We do our best to hold these topics with intention and sincerity, and we hope you'll join us whenever you feel ready and able. Hi, this is Terry. And this is Anne-Marie. And you are listening to Therapists After Hours. We're a little bit rusty. We took a (laughs) bit of a break. A nice long one. But necessary. Do you want to talk about what has happened? Oh, we are overwhelmingly busy. (laughs) Which is a great thing. Yeah. It says a lot about people reaching out for their mental health needs. And that's phenomenal. Worth celebrating. Mm -hmm. But has made us have to take a back seat to some of our hobbies. Uh, we also have taken on a student intern. So if anybody is li- listening out there who is looking for a therapist, but the cost is prohibitive, um, please reach out to us. Her name is Monica. She's pretty awesome. Yep. We love her. Our next guest is Kiara. She is 29 years old. Um, And her story is one that centers around her experience with eating disorders. Um, We'll already have added a disclaimer and trigger warning at the beginning of the episode. But again, if you might be sensitive to any of the content and it does get quite intense... Um, please feel free to take a break from this episode and the next one because it will be in two parts. So one of the things our listeners seem to really enjoy is our reflection thoughts um, before or after having interviewed um, on the podcast. And so one of the things we would like to keep up is just our feedback, debrief, thoughts, um, anything that kind of comes up for us after um, having interviewed somebody. So we'll just dive into that now with this particular interview. Is there anything off the top of your head that comes to mind that you think about, Terry, after this interview? Two things. One is it is astounding how open Kiara was. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't often have people, never mind clients, but just people who are that open about their experience. Um, so that is very impressive that she's able to do that. And the other one is heaviness. Mm-hmm. This was not a light conversation. I have this sometimes with clients but it was the type of conversation where you're almost holding your breath Mm -hmm. and you're like sweating at the end of it because it's so heavy it's so intense um and the emotion is so heightened Mm -hmm. one thing that i will say is i have bleeped out um like numbers related to weight or things that might be extremely triggering to someone who um, is struggling with Mm -hmm. disordered eating. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, we've kind of let Kiara speak for herself. Would it look like this in session with us? No. This Mm -hmm. would have been multiple sessions. We would have poked 
deeper at relationships with her parents, Mm -hmm. with her brother, um, her self-esteem. Yeah. Things that might be coping mechanisms now, but might be on the line of disorder, specifically like orthorexia. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I really value this conversation and interview is because I don't think there's enough conversation that happens about the details of what eating disorders can look like and feel like for the person experiencing it. Um, and my research brain has put together some statistics for people to maybe grasp or gain a little more information about eating disorders that I don't think gets discussed enough. Um, so I'll just fire off a few pieces for our lovely listeners to hear. Um, so nearly 1 million Canadians fit the criteria for an eating disorder diagnosis as of last year. Um, 15 to 20% of people in Canada with anorexia may progress to a chronic form of anorexia at some point. Women aged 15 to 24 years old are 12 times more likely to die from anorexia than any other causes combined. Adolescents and young adults are at a higher risk of developing eating disorders. The onset of anorexia peaks between the ages of 19 to 20 bulimia peaks at 16 to 20, and binge eating between 18 and 20. And 40% of girls have, by the age of nine, dieted for weight loss, even when they are within a healthy weight range, nine years old. Up to 27% of 12 to 18-year-old girls in Canada engage in disordered eating behaviors. Disordered eating among high school students is about 17% for women, and 8% for men, and eating disorders will often occur alongside other mental illnesses, with 50% of patients having dual diagnoses. I am just reading that out, sitting with an intense weight on my chest, because I think, at least in my experiences, either in life personally or in conversations and sessions with people, I feel like there's not enough emphasis placed on the struggle people have with their bodies and with food and with nutrition. And so what I'm grateful for in this vulnerable conversation that she's offering us is I'm hoping people will listen and hear things differently. And I know the whole goal of this podcast was to help destigmatize mental health in general. But I just think that this conversation is very important because it's not a matter of just eating better, working out less or more. It's not a matter of shifting your headspace to just have a healthy relationship with your body. There's a lot more going on and we need to understand the tools that we can get for that, the support we need for it medically or otherwise. Um. I just had another thought about the story as a whole, Mm -hmm. the way that Kiara has told it. Yeah it makes it really clear the root is in control and fear. That's exactly what I was going to say. But it says a lot that for women particularly, the easiest way to gain control in your life is your body. And it feels like the most important 
place to gain control yeah. is your body. Yeah. You stole the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> That's why we do this. Yeah. Um, I think to add to that, as I was really thinking about what are the pieces that kind of all fit together for this interview is I'm also reflecting on, I'm hoping that there's a message here for people to also change their conversations with people about their bodies. So there's a lot of feedback people give and get about the size of their body without an understanding of what it takes for that body to look or feel the way it does. And so a client of mine actually recently said, um, I've told my friends when I'm really thin, don't envy me, reach out to me. I'm not okay if I'm thin for my body, something's wrong. And so we don't know what's happening behind closed doors for people. And while we may comment on a weight loss and think it's a compliment, we don't know the complexities. And so I think obviously we've been having a lot of body positivity movements, but this is just an extra check-in for people to think about commenting on someone's body is not really your place and you don't know the effect it's going to have on that person. The other piece is like, so I have quite a few clients who talk to me about their struggles with their body, their struggles with eating. Yep. The thing that I always say is the problem is not your weight. Mm -hmm. The problem is why is this a coping mechanism mm -hmm. if you're eating more or less right. than you want to be? than yeah. you know is healthy for your body. Why is that the thing? Mm -hmm. If you have controlled your eating to a degree that it is now a disorder, why is that the thing that we have chosen to control? How does that reflect on how you see yourself, how you see your body, how you see your value? Mm -hmm. It's often the thing that people push back on the most I've heard clients say if I could just be good mm -hmm. if I could just get my eating under control mm -hmm. then everything would be easier no it's mm -hmm. not the eating no your body is not your enemy those are your responses mm -hmm. to something else you have to love yourself first mm -hmm. And also tackle any of the rooted complexities that have put you in a position to feel like the only piece of control you have left in your life is over what you put in or out of your body. Mm -hmm. And we'll hear that a lot in our interview because she does a great job of labeling that even as a young teenager, how that control piece plays into her life. Mm -hmm. And that's a major theme across the board when you work with people who have eating disorders. It's where do I have control? And from a young age, there's not a lot of control in your life, but you can control what you choose to do with your body. And not a lot of people can influence that or say very much about it. And mm -hmm. so I think it often feels safer for people. So that being said, my thinking around this is if you, someone you know, feel like you're relating to this story in any way or you're hearing us and the things we're talking about with disordered eating and you're relating to that in any way please reach out to anybody you trust 
reach out to a professional, reach out to us on social media. Um, there are many tools and avenues to support yourself. And this does not have to be the only way you do that for yourself. It would be really difficult, I think, to gather a room of 20 women mm-hmm. and to find even one yeah. who isn't aware of how much space their body takes up, yeah. what they want their body to look like. Mm-hmm. It would be very difficult. Yeah. And we could probably talk for hours and talk everyone's ears off about the societal implications of that and where that comes from. But obviously it's also for a lot of people, a bigger piece than just how do I look in these clothes and what do I do with that? And so this conversation also extends to men. I know the statistics tend to lean towards women and the conversation here is with a woman, but body dysmorphia, I think is definitely on the rise with men. Hopefully this conversation helps people understand what it's like, Mm -hmm. where it comes from, Mm -hmm. and that there is hope ultimately. And for the people who are unaffected by this in their lives to maybe open their eyes a little bit to show a little more compassion through understanding. Yeah, mm-hmm. so 12 years ago, like, it was probably going into our final year of high school, so going into grade 12, um, my brother and I just came back from, like, the J'Explore program, which was, like, the five-week program we did in exchange in Quebec, mm-hmm. had a great summer, we're, like, going into our final year of high school, and my parents, like, dropped the bomb that they were getting a divorce. No one expected it, no one in the family expected it. I guess my parents kept it quite like under wraps and even like my brother and I didn't really have any signs that would tell us that they were there was like some fighting and bickering here and there but we just assumed it was like usual stresses and like you know a couple that's been married for 25 years would have an argument about stupid stuff right Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that was like a bomb drop on my brother and I and obviously um going into your last year of high school you kind of don't want that bad like negative energy to kind of go into your final years so my brother and I sort of um I guess shrugged it off in a sense we're just going to go on with our lives and we we weren't going to tell anyone no one in high school knew um I think only our very like close like childhood friends knew about it um and family of course I would say that was like the pivotal point in my life where things started to go downhill from there in a sense of mental health issues that I experienced. On top of that, um, it was very close around the same time that my brother, my mom and I found out that my brother was gay. Um, and it wasn't something that he hadn't officially come out. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had found out in a very like not so great way. I just remember like not really knowing what was going on because I came home and my mom and my brother were having like a huge fight to the point where they were locked in my brother's room and there was like, throwing shit around and like, it was just one of those really horrible experiences. And again, I had no idea at, the t- at that time what was going on and the few days later my brother had told me what happened 
Um, and I actually felt very hurt because he didn't feel like he was comfortable enough to confide in his, like, my brother and I are twins, obviously, mm. if you didn't know oh, that. I did not know that. Okay. Um, so my brother and I are very close. Like, we grew up together. We were, like, we're best friends. Mm. And like, the fact that he didn't tell me was just super hurtful because I kind of personalized it, even though he was like, no, it's nothing personal. He's going through his experience. Mm-hmm. He's not sure how to open up and tell people because obviously coming out is a, it's a big deal. And... I just kind of personalized it, being like, he doesn't even trust me. We're already going through this shit with my parents. And like, he can't even trust me to tell me that he's gay. The fact that those two things happened so close together was just like, such a hard time in, in my life. And then going into grade 12, like having to keep that like a secret and like pretend that everything was okay in my final year of high school was like super, super hard. Mm-hmm. Um... And a lot of people can relate to the fact that I'm, like, a control freak. So, like, for me... She's looking at me over here. Yeah, so I I have to control situations, like, mm-hmm. and I have to fix things. I always feel like I have to bring people together or, like, fix anything that's broken. And when this all happened, I literally couldn't fix any of it. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, I think, like, that was when I started to become very hard on myself. And that's when things started to kind of spiral out of control, like, mentally. What did that actually look like for you going in grade 12? Also a bit of context. The IV program, especially <laughs> in grade 12, is a very high stress environment. Mm. <laughs> you feel like everything is riding on every one assignment, every one test, every mm-hmm. 25 page extended essay. <laughs> These are the things that compound on top of that family sphere stuff that's happening then you step into high school and it's do or die kind of feeling Mm -hmm. it's extremely difficult i always used to tell my parents thank god i had my brother Mm -hmm. because literally i could not have done it without carlo because we would like study together we'd keep each other we'd have a schedule like we kept things so like tight-knit in terms of like this is what we had to do and we needed to do this and this Mm -hmm. is the timing for it and like so I wouldn't have done it without him, but as Terry mentioned, it was it, it is a stressful environment. And in the end, it actually sort of helped with this situation because for me, I needed to find a way to disconnect myself from what was going on at home. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a healthy divorce. So my parents don't speak to each other at all. It is not amicable, mm-hmm. and nor was it ever amicable when like when they separated from the get-go, right? Um, there was a lot of like financial things going on where there was a lot of fighting. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those things where like my brother and I wanted to go to school and like get like sucked into the IB world because we just really didn't want to be at home and experience what was, what was happening. It was also hard because my dad decided to actually live at home with my mom in separate rooms and for the whole year we were in high school. Mm. So like it was very awkward too because like you'd have like my parents living very separate lives but living in the same house right um and it was tough like it coming home and my dad being in one room my mom being in the in the master bedroom and then like not like they wouldn't join for dinner together at the same time it was just it was literally not what I was grown up on like I came from a very loving I I, grew up in a very loving family like everything was we always had family dinner like it was always like very 
much like a, a warm environment and then it just like shifted completely for the most part like my brother and I just never wanted to be at home and like maybe that's probably why we immerse ourselves so much in like studying with friends or like being at school and extracurriculars and mm -hmm. you know just finding ways to like get out of that mm -hmm. um so IB being as intense as it was actually helped like mm -hmm. actually helped mm -hmm. because I could control that situation I could be like you know what I'm gonna friggin work my ass off and like you know I'm gonna study super hard and I'm gonna put so many hours into this assignment because at least I don't have to worry about personal stuff that's going on at home I don't think anyone knew until maybe into university and whatnot but we were very secretive about it um and then um I started to kind of get into more of a depressive state when you're in such a high stress environment and you're not like dealing with personal stuff all i did was school mm -hmm. i like didn't do anything else i didn't really feel the need to do anything else i just like lost my passion for a lot of other things mm -hmm. um and like i can't really speak for my brother because i think he handled it in a very different way but like, internally went into a depression and that's when i started to seek counseling and go see a therapist my my parents also like kind of like was trying to be very forceful on the therapy thing. Um, obviously because they thought, oh my God, you know, we, my brother and I sort of had this hateful thing towards my parents at the time. And they were like, parents are the, oh shit, like my kids hate me. Like, they need to see a therapist. <laughs> this is affecting them. And like, they automatically go to that route of seeking, um, seeking help for their kids, right? So that was in grade 12? That was in grade 12. And did you like the therapist? Mm -hmm. So I think, so I, I, really connected well with the therapy um my brother on the other hand freaked, like was so against it mm. and it was hard because i was very much into like i needed that other person to talk to that wasn't like, my brother or my mm. parents or family because again when you're in this situation i used to hate when people would come up to you and be like i'm so sorry and like, that's how people are because they don't really know what to say mm -hmm. to someone in that situation so i just hated having people do that with me whereas a therapist is a neutral party mm -hmm. they kind of just give you advice on how to deal with things and obviously we had some family sessions as well but yeah my brother hated them he did maybe one or two and then was like i'm, I'm not doing this anymore i continued with it and then i think with the depression started to come obviously stress and anxiety and a lot of things that were going on and midway through grade 12 actually um my dad decided to move out and go to my uncle's for a little bit and he's like i'm just gonna be here for a few months because i just feel like this is a little bit weird and we're like okay whatever so he went to go live with my uncle and aunt and vaughn and and like, I think within like six months or so, my dad then decided to tell Carlo and I that he was seeing someone. <laughs> and I remember he invited us over to my uncle's house for dinner and my uncle and aunt weren't there. So we were kind of just like, okay, this is weird. And he's like, well, I need to tell you guys something. And he sat us down and said, I'm in a relationship with, uh, with this woman that I've known for a while, actually. We've been friends and, um, and the thing that, he was explaining to us like we met when I was on a work trip there always has been speculation of my dad in a cheating situation mm -hmm. and right when he said that I literally like I completely just like shut down yeah. and like completely and I got so mad at my dad and I just like, stormed out and like, me and my brother both just we friggin like left we're like okay like I'm not even gonna I'm not even I don't even want to listen to this yeah. um the one thing that really hit home with me though was my dad actually told Carlo and I he's like 
don't tell your mom. This needs to be a secret. Oh. So Carlo and I decided to, we were like, okay, like, yeah, I guess we're going to have to keep this a secret, right? Um, so, like, I think about it now and I'm like, I don't know how my brain could hold on to all this information. So first there's the IB program, the, the stress of school. Then there's my parents going through this divorce. And then there's me keeping this type of secret from my mom. At the time, my dad still had shit at the house and it was a lot. Yeah. And maybe a month or two later, I had a bit of a, a panic attack and anxiety. I, I, I was at home with my mom and, and my brother and I literally just started crying. And my mom was like, what's going on? And I, I, and I told her, I'm like, dad just said that he's seeing someone and he told us to keep it a secret from you. But like, I just can't do it anymore. It just, and my mom, when she found out it, it made it even worse. And like, I, I, I sometimes regret doing that, but at the same time, like, I just like, how could you make your child hold on to information like that from your other, from your other parent? Like, it just, it's unfair. And in my head, I also speculated that my dad did it for, you know, for very awful reasons in terms of he's still technically married to my mom the divorce hadn't been settled they're just separated it, it, it just there was just so many things going through my head at the time so when my mom found out it it made the situation worse in a sense that like, there was more fighting my mom completely told my dad to get the hell out of the house and like there was a lot of legal battles going on. My mom always tells me even to this day that she wishes that my brother and I had never knew about all the lawyer stuff that was going on. But unfortunately we get two sides of the story and then it was, it was just an awful experience. I do have friends that have parents that are divorced, but it was amicable. And I just would never wish that on any other person to have to go through like listening to your parents bicker and the lawyers are involved. And mm -hmm. so, it was tough. Even to this day, my parents are still dealing with some legal shit. And it's like, holy crap, like 11 years later and they're still like acting like children. That's what my brother and I say all the time. We're like, our parents are like freaking kids. I started to not want to see my dad at all. I just like, tried to ignore him or I wouldn't want to go visit him or, you know, it was just very hard for me to even look at him in the face. I even physically wanted to like punch him sometimes. I just couldn't even deal with it. Um, and yeah, I get it. I was with my mom, so I would only see one side. But like when you see your mom literally crying herself to sleep every night, like, I just can't see that in a parent. I just can't look at that or I couldn't deal with that. Mm -hmm. So going into a graduation or prom, um, I started to develop like, so, okay, I couldn't control any situations. Um, this is when I started to develop, I guess you could say obsessive behaviors with like the way I looked and my physical self. Um, I've always been a very active child. I did dance for like 14 years. I was a ballerina. I was very involved in my extracurriculars. Um, I was on the track and field team in high school. I, I like just loved being active. And even my brother, you could say it was maybe a combination of my depressive state and then being very hard on myself that I became very obsessed with having to be perfect. And like this perception of, okay, I have to like look good and I have to be really smart and do well in school. And I have to you know, perform in everything that I'm doing. So um, I started to become like very obsessed with working out and, eating properly and I mean in high school I look back at this now and I'm like you're literally you're a baby you're like so young you're gonna go to university I was still gonna be 17 going into university yeah. right like, you're a child yeah um but I just like, 
felt so compelled to like be and look a certain way to put like an image to other people to make people think that I was had my shit together and that I was stable right um not even my brother or my parents knew this was going on at the time because even when we graduated in prom I still looked physically okay like I didn't look like I was losing weight like I looked fine I was a healthy weight for my age but like I think it was that summer before university where it got even it got even worse to the point where like my brother started Carlos started to notice things mm-hmm. um and it, and he would and it would be because I would like, skip meals or I would do things where he was like wow this is definitely not Kata because growing up I had a big appetite I used to love to eat I loved food I had a really good relationship with food um and my, but my brother started to notice there was a shift he was like well Kata's you know hiding her snacks or she's not eating or and he would like we'd have lunch together in high school and I would have no appetite which is not the case I just wouldn't want to eat or be like no I gotta I gotta go work out or I gotta go for a run I remember he told me and my brother always says this now but he actually was the first one to bring it up to my parents he was like something is wrong with Kiara and I don't know exactly what it is but she's acting really weird and like she's not eating a lot and my parents literally just were like oh Carlo like just leave her alone like she's going through shit just stop saying this stuff about her like she's fine Mm -hmm. she'll get over it you know I remember my dad his favorite line was like she'll get over it like but she's just going through stuff you know Mm -hmm. So, and I think that bothered Carlo a lot because he was like, no one's listening to me and like something is going on with her and like it's looks, it's, it could get bad, right? And it did. Um, by the time I got into first year university, I think I had already lost like 10 pounds and I was already thin and like pretty slim. Um, I was a dancer, right? So like it was all about your image and you have to look a certain way, but I used to always get made fun of for being like, I had like chicken arms and it's like, you know, you have like no muscle. You're just like a slim girl. And I used to get so upset. And so I just became obsessed with leaning out and gaining muscle. And so when I got into university in my first year, um, so I was at Queens for my first year and, um, I lived in residence because obviously I couldn't commute from Toronto to there. And I just loved it because I literally could do whatever I wanted behind closed doors and no one would know about it. Um, So first year university, although it was very fun, it does trigger a lot of really bad memories, especially being in residence on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you in a single room? I was in a single room. I had my own bedroom. For my state of mind, it was like the perfect situation. Um, Because no one would be able to tell when I was sad or crying or depressed or not eating. It was any person's perfect situation when they're in a mental health crisis. So I, again, like I used it as an opportunity, like the IB program, like I sort of fully immersed myself into my program. I... I didn't actually really socialize or party as much as most engineers. I almost, it got to the point where I almost felt like I didn't fit in into my program and I was the odd one out because I wasn't drinking or I wouldn't want to go out. If I'm correct, Queen's University engineering program has one girl for five guys. Yeah pretty much so already inherently you're Mm -hmm. the odd one out I've never had an issue with that because growing up with a brother I've always 
connected mm-hmm. well with men. But the thing about men is that they won't come up to me and discuss my personal shit with me or they won't like come up to like girls are a bit more like emotional or they're kind of nosy. They want to know your mm-hmm. business and they want to gossip and stuff like guys don't care about that. Mm-hmm. So I would try and be in groups that had only guys for study groups or like labs or whatever. All I was doing was either studying or like work. I was at the gym at Queens. Like I went to that gym all the time. Like I was there in the morning, I would go to class. And then after being exhausted from a full day of class, I would go back and work out. It was like a clockwork. Like I wake up, work out, go to class, work out, come home, maybe eat, maybe not eat, and then go to bed and do it all over again. And if there was a party, maybe I would go out and maybe I wouldn't. And then at the same time, hearing about stuff that was going on back home. One thing that my dad used to do with my mom that was like really horrible too is because Carlo and I are twins, we had to go through university at the same time. And like, obviously that's expensive. Mm -hmm. And before my parents separated, they were actually going to pay for our schooling, right? Um, When the divorce happened, they... They didn't pay for our schooling. They 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 only paid for a portion, which is fine. But the I think the issue was that like a lot of things that Carlo and I had expected were kind of pulled out from under us without even expecting it. And it was just a lot to take in. Then having to deal with like applying for grants and applying for OSAP and like it was just really hard. Yeah. Um and like obviously taking on the financial burden that we shouldn't have taken on was really was really tough too. Mm-hmm. Um So by the end of my first year of university and going back home, that's when my mom and my dad started to notice like physical changes in me. This is when people actually started to notice something was up. My brother would say that even now he's like, I used to tell my mom and dad, I told you so, look at her, Mm -hmm. you know? And family doctors started to get concerned because he weighed me and he's like, Kata, what's going on here? And I used to be like, oh, I'm just really stressed with school. Obviously he knew about my parents' divorce, but like, I was just like, no, it was all school. I'm just really stressed. I'm working real hard. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just don't have time to eat lunch. Like I'm in the middle of classes. And so I remember that was when my doctor was like, he told my mom, he was like, I need to see her almost every other week. Like she needs to come in and get weighed because he was concerned. Thank you for opening your ears and hearts to us. We hope you'll join us for our next chat and look out for part two of this episode.